Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, welcome to the All About Windows Phone Insight Podcast. I am Ewan Spence, still calling myself the host, and we shall carry on calling co hosts and special guest stars as the rest of the team from All About Windows Phone. Join me to talk about the world of Windows Phone, what's been happening the last week, what we've been using, what we've been looking forward to, and having a little dick into some of the contentious points that have been raised over the last days, weeks, and months of Microsoft's mobile handset. So... Still calling himself a co-host, I believe, we have Rafe Blanford. Hello, everybody. Yeah, still calling himself a co-host, we have David Gilson. Hi, hello, everyone, and uh, I'll be a cohort today. A cohort? That makes it sound like we have evil plans. <laughs> How can you have evil plans and Microsoft in the same sentence, David? I'll leave <laughs> that to everyone's imagination. Ah, <laughs> oh, not that we'd want to infer anything. Steve, do you still want to be the Dr. Smith special guest star? Now I'm going to be an interested onlooker. An interested onlooker. Ladies and gentlemen, Boris Johnson. No, Steve Lichard. Hello, Steve. (laughs) Hello, David. Hello, Rafe. Have we all had a good week, Rafe? Yes, we have. I've had a busy week. Uh, More content on the way, more site features being enabled in the background. And I was off to uh, the Nokia Lumia kind of launch party tonight in London, where Dead Mouse 5, or sorry, Dead Mouse is playing some dance music and lighting up the Millbank Tower at the same time. So I'll be able to talk about that on next week's podcast, although when you're listening to this, it will have already happened and we'll probably have a video on the site to uh, show it off. So, so, so the band is called Dead Mouse? No, no, I think the DJ is called uh, Dead Mouse or it's actually spelt D-E-A-D-M-A-U-5, uh, but I understand it's pronounced Dead Mouse, and there's going to be a sort of audio-visual spectacular on the Millbank Tower, which UK listeners will know as the home of the Conservative Party and the birthplace of New Labour, and I think Nokia are hoping some of that newness uh, rubs off on them. It's kind of the, the launch party or big event to try and attract a bit of attention to Nokia's marketing campaign around their new Windows phone device. And basically, uh, Rafe is the only one who's young enough and cool enough on the team to actually go to a DJ-centric event. Yes, uh, indeed. And David is busy thinking at Millbank Tower. Isn't that where Ubuntu are based, a UK developers team? The answer to that, David, is yes. Yes. I don't know a Linux thing that David doesn't know. Wow. <laughs> right. So um, let's, uh, let's, let's get on with that. Uh, we will talk, we're going to talk about the UI in Metro later on in the show and also pick out our favorite applications we've been using or going to use uh, for the next week. But now a couple of the news points. Rafe, as you said, we've been building up stuff on the website. Uh, and after last week's podcast, we kind of pulled together some statistics. Tell us a bit about the most expensive applications for Windows Phone. Uh, well, this is a job I actually put you and on to, but I'll, I'll summarise the story here. We thought it'd be interesting to look at what some of the most expensive applications in the marketplace were. So we got out our uh, tool that looks at all of this kind of thing, makes it very easy to sort through the data, and had to look at sort of the top five applications. And actually, truth be known, it's an edited top five to so kind of make a few interesting points. I think at number five in the list with a medical application, which actually was probably the top one that was uh, justified in its pricing because it's uh, licensing some medical textbooks effectively on the phone. And then there was one that was a getting things done system that was a bit more expensive at £123. Then it went to slightly, uh, if I can use the word, 
dodgier applications. In this case, it was Date Square for Elite, which was a, a dating application premised on the fact you would pay £365 for it so you'd get the right sort of person on the dating site. But I can't imagine there'll be that many profiles at that cost. It got even more ridiculous after that, the kind of €500 Euro note application, which let you show a €500 Euro note on the back and the front. And yes, it cost €500, Euros essentially, or £364.99p. And then it got to the even more tragic I Am Rich application. Actually, this was one that was first appeared on iPhone. So it's a weak copy of a really crappy application. And this just displays I'm rich on the phone screen and again costs $500 or £364. So it just goes to show there is a lot of, a lot of applications that are of dubious value amongst the uh, 41,000 that are available in the Windows Phone marketplace. But we were trying to make a, a serious point in this in that you know the value of applications uh, is sometimes a bit ridiculous but there are sometimes reasons why you might want to charge a lot of money in the medical application is kind of the example of that but we're also looking at sort of showing off some of the uh, statistics that you know maybe don't get as much attention as they deserve in the marketplace uh, actually if you look at the overall cost in the marketplace the vast majority of applications come in at under two pounds and actually most of those are at the 79p mark which is the the one dollar mark um, but there are 894 applications that's about two percent uh, priced over seven pounds 90. some of those are gps navigation uh, the remainder tend to be uh, books and things like that uh, but we will be doing some more uh, stories some more articles on pricing but just a little bit of insight there for you and if you've got anything you think we should be looking at let us know one question for you, Rafe. Can I have the All About Windows Phone credit card back now? Uh, yes, I think, think so. I was a bit reluctant for you to have the card while he was looking at $500 applications, just in case he made a mistake. I should have probably said that of those five applications I mentioned, only one of them uh, had a, a trial version and the rest you had to buy outright. And quite frankly, if anyone has bought them, um, they probably need their phone taking away from them and sending off to the loony bin. With, that, with maybe the exception of the medical application, which, as I say, I think probably has justified that price. It's really the cost of licensing the uh, the textbooks, not the application itself. So let's uh, stay with money things. Uh, for our American listeners, they have just had Thanksgiving Day, where everybody sits down and is thankful uh, for what they have mm. and what they're able to offer. And then they have Black Friday, and where they spent no money at all in a huge orgy of consumerism, trying to buy everything they don't already have that advertising says they do. Black Friday is, is and it's almost the American starting gun. Uh, on the festive season, traditionally known for great big special offers and discounts. Of course, it's all about turnover uh, rather than profit. Uh, for those of you who are doing business, turnover is just as vital and you'll know why. Uh, but what int interested me on this was the amount of American buzz and amazement that Amazon and Microsoft stores were offering Windows Phone for a penny plus monthly contract or for free on a monthly contract. And it's like, well, We've had that for years over here in the UK. Uh, Steve, I know that you keep an eye on these these sort of things uh, for over the whole thing, so not just yeah. Windows Phone, but for Symbian, Android, uh, and, and iOS as well. It's such a huge disconnect. I'm like, well, yeah, because they want you to pay for the monthly contract. It seems like they've forgotten that bit in this rush of free. It's, yeah, it's absolutely crazy, really. Looking at it from the outside, you think, 
how is it that people don't realize they're being conned? And conned is perhaps slightly too strong a word, but effectively, I mean, you, you used to say you buy a, what should be a, a $400, $500 smartphone for a, for a penny or an American penny. And then, yes, you pay $80 a month for 18 months or two years. And if you add that lot up, the, the actual upfront costs are, are really quite trivial. And it really, it really winds me up actually listening to American podcasts. They say, well, the device X is coming in at $199 and device Y is coming in at $149. That's a $50 difference. And they, they go on about um, the relative prices in, in the marketplace. I think, no, you've completely missed the point. You've completely missed the point. The overall cost of each of those two, because you have to buy them with a contract, is $1,600. And an extra $50 makes absolutely no difference whatsoever. So you've got me started on a rant, Ewan, but I'll let Rafe chip in there. <laughs> Yeah, I, I would just say this is really about perception. You know, people see the upfront cost and they don't think about the contract. And for some of our European listeners, it's probably worth explaining that uh, if you get a smartphone in the States, you don't have a lot of choice in the contract that you then get with it in terms of the cost of it. You're pretty much stuck on a $70 or $80 contract. There are exceptions to this. But for our US listeners, if you're in Europe, it's much more common to see SIM-only contracts where you pay significantly less on a contract price. And in the UK, that starts around £15. Uh, €20 Euros is not uncommon in the uh, the rest of Europe either. And with that, you're just paying month to month. You don't get any subsidy on a handset purchase. But of course, that's a dramatic saving uh, compared to the US pricing. And contract prices in the Europe and UK also vary you know they start maybe down at the again the 15 pound mark but you'll get very little subsidy with that if you want a decent subsidy on your handset you're probably going to have to pay at least 30 pounds sort of 50 dollars 50 euros and at that point you might start getting the the handset for free at the top end um we've said before the Lumia 800 for example is available free on the 25 pound or sort of 35 dollar 35 euro contracts um, and that's pretty competitively priced usually it's a little bit more than that uh, but the difference is you can actually buy a, a phone sim free and then go on one of these sim only contracts and relatively speaking save the money that you might otherwise be paying in a subsidy because of course when there's a something like a 20 pound difference over a the course of a two-year contract that's sort of 480 pounds which is basically the cost of buying the device and of course you have a certain amount of flexibility within a simoni contract you don't have to pay off the rest of the contract you can switch away and all that kind of thing so this is sometimes why i think some of the uh some of us will sort of look at in a slight amazement at the u.s market where things seem to be a lot more restricted by the operators and i do appreciate there are exceptions to this but that's a sort of general pattern of how the market is and and it's also seems crazy that the, the fortunes of the phone are decided by that initial price and that initial price certainly in america is determined by the negotiations between the handset manufacturer and and the carriers you know if at&t decide to put the lumia at zero dollars and eighty dollars a month or two hundred dollars and eighty dollars a month then you know everyone will go oh the lumia is overpriced at two hundred dollars even though it's actually you know it's 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 almost it's like Gilligan's Island. It's like you can't see the land. You know it's there, but it's just wrong. That, that's right. But as I say, this is about the the perception. And I mean, if you look at the total cost of ownership, often in the states, the difference between those prices at the beginning is really what makes a difference to the total cost of ownership because the contracts are very broadly the the same. Uh, whatever handset you end up getting, which is why I think more attention is paid to that initial 
initial price point. But I would expect more and more handsets in the States to sort of become available uh, for free. Uh, and we've seen that happen with something like the iPhone. I mean, admittedly, it's one of the older generation and it happens with some of the Android devices. I'd not be at all surprised to see Nokia sort of do the necessary to get the uh, Lumia when it launches in the States. And I assume it will be maybe a slightly different model because of the 3G bands and things like that. Uh, at the $99 or even the free price point because they'll be wanting to push it very hard. But it does make an important point about the US market is that the operators, the carriers, have an enormous amount of influence, far more so than in the, the rest of the world, really. And the interesting thing that Nokia said, and Microsoft as well with Windows Phone, is they want to be as carrier and operator friendly as possible. And that's one of the things that they're kind of offering over iOS, where obviously it tends to be more Apple dominated and even to an extent Android as well. I think probably Android maybe sits somewhere in the middle. We haven't really seen that, that have much of an impact yet, but I wouldn't be at all surprised if in 2012 that attitude of being more friendly to the operators is something both Microsoft and Nokia use as a stick and as a sort of carrot to operators to get them to range the handsets. And quite how well that can work out really remains to be seen. And obviously, they've, uh, they've, they're, they're talking about it at the moment. The evidence of how much they're actually doing to that end is perhaps less in evidence but there is the kind of the idea of operator tiles, potentially operator applications, and a lot more to come, I understand. So it's worth keeping an eye on because this is a battle that is far from over. You should have kept this as our discussion piece in the middle of the show. Uh, but there we go. We'll have something else. Right. Uh, swing over this one here. Um, it, it's, it's all about getting people in the door, really, isn't it? MSDN in the UK. Finally, a special offer for people in the UK to do something. Uh, developers who register with the new MSDN gifts program can earn points up to the end of January. Every time you release a unique application uh, into the Windows Marketplace, and it's accepted by Microsoft as being unique, uh, which means you can't just do 57 book readers. You get a point. Collect four points, and, and there's a pool of about 15,000 of them. You get a free Xbox, or a cinema projector, or a flat screen TV. I mean, D D David, I want to come with, come with you in this one, because you know, you're going to look at this and go, that's Microsoft either promoting their toolkit, doing a, a almost a bribe, uh, dare I say it, but, it, but in any case, it does really help to get people into that marketplace to boost the visibility, to boost the idea that you should be developing for Windows Phone, doesn't it, David? I think it certainly attracts people um, I, because um, the, the Xbox, it, Xbox and actually Nintendo Wii have, also, have almost become a common currency in promotional offers. I mean, if you look at mobile other mobile phone companies um, trying to get you to go on, on their network, for example. Um, there is a certain normality of giving away a games console. And, and of course, Microsoft are going to give away their own games console. So in that sense, it doesn't seem that, um, it doesn't seem to ring my alarm bells quite so much. And, and it, yes, it really does show how serious we are about this. Um, the, the only thing is, there's a lot of people who may already have Xboxes, so um, I expect to see a lot of cheap Xboxes on eBay soon. 
advantage there, of course, is that you can actually choose from the prize pool. So if you've already got the, the Xbox, then you can switch your four points to a pocket cinema projector. And if you only get one point, there's mini DAB radios and magazine subscriptions coming up as well. I just love the fact that this is bolstering the idea that it's a serious thing to consider. And I know a lot of the London uh, PR houses are basically asking for Windows Phone applications, not because of raw numbers, not because of any, any sort of market penetration, because the perception is that's what they should be doing, right? Yeah, I think the interesting thing about this, it's probably attracting a very certain type of developer. I think it's maybe the one-man band hobbyist developer who's you know checking out the SDK and maybe just need that little extra bit of motivation to push them to release a few applications because I was speaking to a number of people who said, yeah, I've played about with it. I'm probably going to release something, but uh, so this will just be the extra push. And I think it's an interesting way of appealing to that kind of developer and uh, talking of appealing to developers, I actually went to uh, an event called uh, so alphalabs.cc. It's actually part of the 1.0 digital festival that runs uh, at the uh, British Film Institute in the South Bank in London. And this was kind of a, it was actually a Nokia promotion with conjunction from Microsoft as well, uh, to kind of appeal to what I would call another set of developers. And it's outside the kind of the traditional uh, developer engagement envelope you know and we we know that lots of devices are now given away to developers to encourage them to develop applications but traditionally that's done through existing mailing lists or they hold a specific developer event uh, 1.0 is kind of as i say a, a digital festival that's been running for 15 years that sees a combination of sort of code and art come together to create it can be an installation it can be a film it can be an audio experience all kinds of kind of uh I mean, in a very broad sense, digital art, but it, you know, it can encompass quite a few different things. And this alphalabs.cc, that's the website address where you can go and find out some more, um, was basically inviting a bunch of uh, creatives and coders in, encouraging them to work together to create interesting applications. There wasn't a particular commercial drive behind this. It was very much about sort of interesting ways that uh, developers and artists might work together to create you know, something a little bit different in the digital space. And to sort of give an example of what they were doing, uh, Nokia and Microsoft had invited three teams to kind of work on something before the event. And uh, there was a very impressive one that was kind of mixing music together. It had eight uh, Lumia 800s, and you could tap on them to control the beat of one track and then for the drums and then something else for the next next track and then a different uh, percussion instrument and so on to build up this whole track um, and control the playback or remixing something that had already been created and then there was an x and a uh, kind of a, a digital audio visual thing going on at the same time all, all quite impressed from a technical point of view the the second one was perhaps more immediately um, appreciated where it might go which was a, a 3d game that was based around the audio visual of a, a music soundtrack that had been released and it was actually a racing game that looked really really very impressive um, but the inspiration of it had come from music and the third one was actually a kaleidoscope application that was using fractals and then using all the sense of the phone microphone camera uh, compass accelerometer etc to control what the um, was being shown through the kaleidoscope and you could take pictures of what was then put them in a gallery upload them to the internet all that kind of thing so you know it was really interesting from my point of view to see this complete departure from the traditional developer event and i think it's exactly what uh, microsoft and Nokia need to do because they're not going to sort of 
break new ground by just copying the other developer events that happen out there. They're kind of a necessary thing to do as well, if you like, the basic hygiene of developer engagement. But to stand out from the crowd, make a bit of noise about something different, um, this was a very interesting idea. We're going to be reporting on it in the site uh, once we get some creatives back from it and once we uh, have some more information we're also going to follow alpha labs as people release stuff and uh, they gave away a couple of hundred devices at this event so it'll be really interesting to see what's produced out of it um, but it's all part of this giving away sort of twenty-five thousand nokia devices to developers to kind of encourage and boost the ecosystem and uh will be you know it's hard to judge what kind of impact that has because some people will just take a device and go away and not do anything with it um, but I think the kind of seriousness with which Microsoft and Nokia are applying themselves here and the volume at which they're doing it will almost certainly have a noticeable impact. And I look forward to uh, sort of being able to talk about that in future podcasts. Indeed, of course, the next goal is 50,000 applications in, in the marketplace. And when that happens, we will bring you that. So keep an eye on the front page and the RSS feeds. Uh, one brief bit that I'm just going to mention, um, Nokia have acknowledged that there are some of the Lumia 800s do have an issue with the bad rate. There's going to be two software updates. Um, there's going to be some changes there rolling up into the, the upcoming 774 update. And there will be another update near the end of December or the start of January, which should address the problems that some people are experiencing. Uh, that's acknowledged. We have details of that back on the website right i want to have a quick chat about metro ui though in in our central bit of the show david i want to come to you first because uh for, the, for those people who are new to uh the all abouts and the insights um, all about symbian insight has been picking up some discussion on windows phone over the summer while we were waiting for the new site to come up and, and i seem to remember at the time that you really didn't like metro and all the big fonts and all the words being cut off and everything now you've used it in anger david metro <laughs> ui far too simple missing too many tricks or microsoft might actually have something here discuss okay um well the examples that you just quoted me on i still stand by um i i do think some of the oversized fonts are unhelpful and i have anecdotes to back that up but i won't go into that just now um the live tiles i philosophically i do like those now just let me digress for a moment just to explain where i'm coming from before we had windows phone and Metro UI, we had Symbian, Android, and the iPhone. And I always said that the iPhone was actually functionally deficient compared to Symbian and Android because, before everyone at home jumps on me, the iPhone has an app grid and nothing else. Whereas Symbian and Android have an app grid, which Symbian can organize as well in any Byzantine folder structure you care to create um plus home screens with widgets that you that can present you information about what's going on in your device and what's going on in your life and that you can place them in any combination you like and android was even a bit more flexible because it could have any size widgets you want now phil now just going back to the fundamentals what i think a smartphone home screen should do is present you quick glanceable information and yes i'm kind of channeling marco atastari here um about what's going on in the device and what's going on in, on in your life now why i like the live tiles is because they do exactly the same thing just in a different way now the difference is is that with symbian and more android than symbian but you can spend ages tweaking, and, and that's why people like Android. It's, it's a tinkerer's device. Uh, you can spend ages getting it just how you want it. But if you ever have to wipe your device or you upgrade to a new phone, 
you have to do all that again and you have to remember everything. So it's just, we, you get to, I mean, even with Symbian, you can file everything into f folders and have your applications organized how you like. But then if you have to reset your phone, you have to do it all again. There's no way to save that and just like say, okay, restore, restore it how it was. You can't do that. So it's just, I'll, you get to a point where you can't face doing it again. And with Metro UI, there's, there's just these tiles and all you've got to do is just drag these tiles across. And yes, people have said that the, the live tile system is, is restrictive because it's just a grid of squares. Well, yeah, it is, but that means it's quicker to get set up how you want it to be. So that's why that aspect of Metro UI gets a thumbs up from me. Steve, same question to you. I mean, you as a huge amount of knowledge going through almost every single UI, though I don't think you ever had a Newton. Um, where does Metro rank in, in the pantheon of interfaces on small screen devices? Extremely high. Um, I, I've said for a while that I've been impressed not just by the freshness of, of Windows Phone's interface, um, but the, the complete a fresh approach to how information is linked. I mean, the, the, I, if you phrase the question, is is Windows Phone in its current state good enough for you, Steve? I would actually say no. And if you say, are there some huge stonking gaps where Microsoft, Nokia, and the other licenses need to fill, I'd say yes. But the underlying UI, the Metro, which I guess has been around for two or three years now under Zoom music players, is absolutely brilliant at what it does, and that is in linking information. Under a traditional user interface, you go into an application, you look at some data, then you drill down through some menus to find out some more information about that data, and it's very much going up and down a hierarchical tree. With Windows Phone and Metro UI, the information on the whole comes up on screen, and then, yes, this this um, kind of the font clue off to the side of the screen shows you there's more there. And you can really can look at different pivots, like a pivot table in a spreadsheet. You can get different views of the same information, related information, related information to that information, and it all just flows seamlessly and is presented uh, just at the time you need it. So for me, a, a big thumbs up for the overall UI. I just need more commitment at the, uh, at the underlying functions for me. Right, if you can make this three from three, or are you going to throw a spanner in the works? No, I would back up what Steve said in that I think the intelligence of the underlying framework in terms of the design pattern is what's most interesting about Metro and its biggest asset. Uh, there is clearly room for a little bit more extension, and I think we saw the first phase of that with Mango, and I will say I think Windows Phone went from being a device that I couldn't really use from day to day pre-Mango to one that I was quite happy to. And there were a number of functional changes uh, that, that caused that, mainly around uh, live tiles, multitasking, other bits and pieces. And there were, was a performance boost too. But what impressed me most was how seamlessly those uh, enhancements of functionality happened. They actually sat very well in the existing UI framework and in one sense, that's the thing that impressed me most about uh, Mango, because traditionally, when you've seen that happen on other platforms, it often feels like something has been bolted on. And uh, you know, to bring up an example, notifications, I think, is probably the classic example of this on all the other platforms. You know, uh, Symbian has recently introduced a new drop down with Bell. And yes, it, it looks nice and it feels nice, but it does feel like an add on. And I'll say the same about ios and the same about android android did have it built in from earlier on but it, it does still feel like a separate sort of tick box of functionality 
Um, and actually notifications, I think, is one of the areas where Windows Phone is perhaps a bit weak. And you know, uh, Steve was referring to more work needed as a, a possible area there. The way they happen on screen is fine. Either Toast, that's kind of the line along the, the bottom, or on Live Tile. But there's no central place to go and see all the things you missed. And maybe there's notification central or something needed there. I, you know, And that's an example of how there is more work to come. And no doubt in subsequent releases, we're going to see a refinement of some of the techniques used. But the other example I would kind of bring out was, um, you know, Mango and Windows Phone gets criticised, I think, for almost being too simple and uh, very rigid in the way it does things. And David referred to this and saying it's great because it's, you know, it, it's easy to use. But I would say it's also about being very consistent across different experiences. And so that does make it quite uh, intuitive and easy to pick up and use. But I would also say people need to be wary of saying, um, it's it's constrained, it's too simple because there is a certain amount of complexity that is hidden and I didn't really begin to appreciate this until I'd been using the device for a while. There's a, a couple of examples of this. Um, a good one is groups functionality and contacts which isn't set up by default. There is kind of a family group kind of sitting there blank to give you a hint but once you use this you can actually set up different groups of people and you have them as a, a live tile optionally on the home screen, you can then see just updates from them in terms of social networks or a way to quickly dial them. So I've got one for family, which means I can then get at my family updates very quickly and also dial them very quickly. So it's that degree of customization is actually much higher than you might expect. And kind of the reverse side of that or a, another side of that is the live tiles you get in applications uh, are often deep linked into specific functionality. So, for example, uh, Shazam has an upcoming update that will allow you to have a, a kind of a secondary live tile that links straight to that music recognition screen. So rather than having to open up the application, tap over to music recognition bit of the application, it'll jump you straight in and you can immediately start recognizing it. A song and now there are quite a few applications that do this you know nokia maps allows you to pin a location to the home screen so you can jump straight to that location so i found when i've been going off to an event i've pinned the location before i get there and then when i get off the tube and i need to orientate myself to get to that location i just tap it straight on the home screen and jump into it straight away so that degree of customization um, is actually more apparent for what I call application level functionality. And it goes back to what I've said time and time again. It's not traditional application silos. It's the task based and experiences that you jump into. Um, talking about customization, it doesn't have the same degree as Android or Symbian you know, in terms of themes or wallpapers. And I think that's maybe something I'd like to see come in in the future. But I actually feel that that kind of if you like experience customization so you can have a start screen that is very much tailored to the kind of experiences you use daily on a phone rather than just around specific applications is really very strong indeed and you have to actually make take advantage of those to really appreciate them and it does come back to what has been said many times about windows phone is that you really need to use the device for a little while to to fully appreciate and it is of course the big challenge that microsoft Nokia and the other manufacturers have trying people trying to persuade people to use it at least once. I think um, I'll just chip in very quickly because I know we're short of time. Um, what Rafe was just saying about putting, say, like a a, a destination quickly as a, as a, as a live tile. Um, yeah, I think that restriction in the live tiles is actually its strength because it actually because as I was saying before, it's easier to set up. It's, it means it's actually. Um, 
becomes a very transient home screen so that you can actually put the things you need at the time just up there quickly, like a beer, boarding, brass, or a destination in, in maps, and just get on with doing it and then throw away, throw it away when you finish. There's two, li- I, I would just say, it's, it's relevant to what we've been talking about, there's two little tweaks I would like to see on Metro UI. Well, specifically on the live tiles. We were talking about Toast pop-ups where the, the tiles cycle through information. I think that needs to, there is the risk of them being too fast so you can't read what they're telling you, but I think they do need to be faster because I think a lot of the point of the Lifetiles notifications is that it's quick, glanceable information. But I find that the ones that do cycle through, I'm sat there waiting for it to cycle through and to see what it says next. For example, the me tile, and I want to see how many people have tweeted at me while I'm sat there waiting for it for ages. And the other thing is, is I'm, I'm reviewing the 7 Pro, which is a has a slide up quite keyboard. So on a desk, if I just put that down on the desk with the screen up, all, the, all my live tiles are sideways. Now, I'm okay with scrolling horizontally instead of vertically, but I think it'd be a great idea if they actually built in for the tiles, each individual tile to rotate 90 degrees to align with the vertical. Yeah, I'd actually I'd sort of say, in general, one of the weak points of Windows Phone is poor landscape support. And I'm hoping, well, I'm pretty sure that's something that's going to be improved in the future. And that is very noticeable on the home screen with those uh, keyboard devices, it's the same on the Dell Venue Pro. So there we go then. Strong views on Metro UI around. Just for those of you who are wanting to completely say, yes, it's four for four for me. Interestingly, I think Metro UI on Windows Phone has actually went back a little bit uh, from the Zoom HD Media Player, which also... Uh, drove the Metro UI. Um, it, it's evolved, and it's evolved to be much more accessible uh, and, and much more suitable for, for the general population. Um, there's a lot more swinging in graphics and moving on the Zoom HDs, uh, but uh, I'm, I'm used to it now on Windows Phone. Uh, so there we go. Uh, very quickly, uh, so we can keep under the time schedules, applications of the week, what have we been using, what are we all looking forward to using? David? Oh, come on. <laughs> you don't have a theme tune, have you? No. Oh. 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 Homework. Come on, jump yes. to it. <laughs> Implied homework. Anyway, uh, Steve, you're sounding jumpy. Come on, then. What have you got for us this week? Well, I'm just going to play this shot. Hang on, let's see if this works. Oh, you probably can't hear that. I'm just potting a yellow in international snooker. Yes, yes. This is something I reviewed about a month ago when we launched all about windowsphone.com, but I don't think anyone, anyone was actually attention to the site then, so I'm going to play it now. International Snooker, which is a stonkingly good game. It's a full simulation of snooker, as it sounds, but it's also the best one I've ever played. It's really, really responsive. looks absolutely gorgeous on the screen. Uh, you can direct the, the, your, the aim of your ball according to how you swipe on the screen, and the, the vertical offset on the screen d- depends on how fast the, the pans around the table work. So with a bit of practice, you can move around like you would on a real table, and this is the acid test of any good simulation game is can you apply the same skills that you have in real life to the game and do, do the balls react in the same way? And whether it's pool or snooker or another a tabletop game. And here the answer is yes, you can, you can apply in an analog form different amounts of backspin, sidespin, topspin. You can vary the strength of your shot and the ball will react just as they would in real life. And um, my, my average break in the international snooker is about the same as my average break in real life. I, it really feels like I'm playing the real thing and there's nothing to put me off to think, oh, that's a game. It's not real. It's not as good as the real thing. So really big thumbs up for international snooker. I cannot believe it's only £2.29. If people balk at that price, then they're absolutely bonkers because you can get 20, 30, 100 hours of gameplay out of this very easily. And, and did you say bulk deliberately in that last sentence? <laughs> yes. 
Yeah, of course you did. Of course you did. David, what have you been using this week? Seismic. Um, this is one of the many third-party Twitter and Facebook clients. Um, it's a, It's been available on Windows Phone since as long as I've been looking at Windows Phone devices. Um, very good, because now in Manga, it actually supports live tiles for all the different views. So, so, because... Um, for example, say if you want to know how many at replies you've got or how many direct messages you've got, you can actually put a live tile for just that type of tweet or Facebook message and, and you'll get a counter on your screen. The only problem with it at the moment is that once you've actually looked at those messages, the counter doesn't reset. So I think that's something they need to fix. However, I do strongly recommend Seismic and I will be doing an in-depth review of it at some point for allaboutwindowsfun.com because with the, peop- the people hub that's built into Windows Phone, it's, it's a great idea, and I want it to do everything for me because I think it once you realize, oh, well, I, it doesn't do such and such, you will then there's no point having it. So I, I But un- until the people hub does everything I need it to do, Seismic really nicely fills all the gaps, especially if you do use Twitter direct messages a lot or a lot of Facebook messaging. You can just put that live tile on and you'll get a notification. So that's Seismic, and you can find it in the Windows Phone Marketplace. Also worth pointing out, Seismic works on multiple accounts. So you can have your at replies from AA underscore WP and Ewan uh, both sitting on your live tiles as well, David, can't you? That's right, yeah. And there's even a Salesforce CRM integration as well if you're doing any corporate malarkey. That's because Seismic have done the, uh, I think Loic's on his fourth pivot now of the Seismic name, um, and they're doing Salesforce stuff. Uh, but that's for another podcast, probably um, done out of America with a bundle of twits. Uh, Rafe, what have you got for this week? I thought I would actually choose an application, uh, given that Steve's done a game. I was originally going to do a game as well, but uh, I'm going to mention something called Zmote, uh, which is available in the marketplace for 149. It came out in September, but it's recently got an update to version 1.1, which uh, add support for multitasking faster zoom so actually makes it a lot more function and what this does is act as a remote control for zoom on your pc and it works over a wi-fi network so it can sort of work anywhere in the house really um, and this is really the idea if you start using zoom for connecting your uh, smartphone to your pc you might start using it to manage your music collection or if you've got a, a zoom hd one of uh, not very many people i guess uh, you might already be storing all your music on zoom uh, and you can basically use it as a remote control, but it's rather a sort of souped-up remote control. I mean, yes, of course, it does play and pause the music and turning off shuffle and stuff like that and changing volume. But it also has a pretty good way of kind of finding music, uh, you know, having the screen on your phone and then finding what you want to play back. You know, there's various custom searches and obviously it integrates things like album art very nicely indeed. And so it acts as a, sort of a really nice remote control. And sometimes... I mean, I know when I'm sitting working at a computer and I've got some music playing in the background, it's sometimes easier just to pick up a, a remote control device and play that, you know, use the controls on that rather than going onto the PC application itself, especially if you're doing something else. So I thought this was quite an interesting one. As, as far as I'm aware, it's the first remote control application on Windows Phone for, for Zune uh, and offers sort of a, a control of something outside the actual smartphone itself. So thumbs up from me. There we go. Finally, I'd like to recommend Stopwatch. Now, there's a bundle of Stopwatch applications in the marketplace, specifically the one by Jose Arriaga. Um, It's really, really basic, which is what I was looking for. I wanted a big clock where it should have a start button, 
and I could see the time going by. There's laps if I needed it and a stop button. And it's really useful for timing how long a podcast is going on for. So if I look at it now, guys, it's been a great week on All About Windows Phone, hasn't it? <laughs> it has indeed. It has indeed. Hopefully we'll have more great weeks as we go along. Do keep following uh, the site. The links to the recommended applications will be up on the website, allaboutwindowsphone.com. Uh, you can keep in touch with everything through the RSS, Twitter feeds, Facebooks, and all of that as well. Only remains for me to say goodbye to my co-host, Ray Blanford. Goodbye, everybody. My cohort, David Gilson. Goodbye, everybody. Uh, the person who would most like to appear in an Irwin Allen serial for the pilot episode, Steve Litchfield. Your cultural references completely escape me, as usual. Goodbye. Yeah, you still managed to sneak in a bulk reference with the yeah, super yeah. game. I mean, come on. <laughs> I'm Ian Spencer. I'm heading off to Armenia now, of all places, uh, where the temperature will reach a high of minus 14 degrees Celsius. Let's see if the phone still works in that temperature. Uh, but for now, thank you all very much for listening. Catch you here next week for the words on the site and the audio and the video. Except we don't do video. Not yet. I'll go now. ta